0: it is wonderful to be here this morning, and um, if it's my fault, then uh, no, no, it's God's fault. It's God's fault that you're uh, pastoring, Jeff, and we are blessed by you, for sure. And I'm so glad that Pastor Jeff and Pastor Christy are getting an opportunity to um, get a little bit of vacation. Um, it was funny. Uh, I got a text from Pastor Jeff this week, and he's like, you know, hey, um, can you go over to the church early on Sunday and turn on the lights and turn on the sound system and and make sure that the cords are run right and that the microphones are working and that we... And I was like, you do this every week? Really? Come on. <laughs> so they needed a break. I'm, I'm very excited to be here. And uh, just so you know, um, if I look familiar, it's usually because I'm behind the board back there. Um, I'm one of the techs here at... Uh, at, the, at Homestead Church. And and by the way, I do want to recognize our technicians. Uh, I mean, let's give them a hand, yeah. They, here, here's the thing about technicians. We, we're not supposed to be seen or heard from, right? But if things go wrong, then that's when we're seen or heard, right? You know, when feedback happens or, or when the microphone... Hey, Greg, come on. Um, no, uh, and so uh, it's it's a great uh, it's a great team of uh, texts that we have here at church, and it's it's a blessing to be a part of it, and and also you may have walked into the local CVS here recently or sometime in the last couple of years, and, and said, wait a minute, I think I recognize him. Do they just let anybody preach here? Or, uh, and uh, no, no, I have I've been a pastor, as Pastor Jeff said, I've been a pastor for about eight or nine years. Um, I, I became ordained in the Assemblies of God Church, and. Um, and I, uh, I actually went back to school. I was at Best Buy headquarters for many years. Um, and while I was there, um, I went back to school, felt a, felt a calling, and that word's going to become familiar to you here today, um, on my life during that time, and, and just said, you know, God, yes, and uh, went back to school. Um, so my family's lived in Farmington for, for over 25 years. We've raised all four of our kids here. They all went to the elementary school and the high school, and, and in fact— Our youngest, a little bittersweet, our youngest today, we are taking to the University of Wisconsin Eau Claire um, to drop him off. And so, um, and I, his, all of his stuff is in my car. So I figure if I just keep preaching, he can't go. Right? So, I mean, if I just keep going, he's not, well, he might, he might go, but you won't have a stuff, so, but uh, no, I, he was here at the earlier service, and I told him that, and he just kind of waved at me, and yeah, dad, right, um, so we are so excited to be part of this, this church here in Farmington. It's really nice, because um, I was um, the executive pastor at Summit Church for many years, and driving into St. Paul um, every day, and on Sundays, and, and everything, and then about 45-minute drive, you know, one way, and, and now it's about a, oh, two-minute walk. So it's kind of nice, even in the winter, I live that close, we can walk right here, so um, it's, it's pretty nice. So before we start, before we read the word of God, let's uh, pray together. God, thank you for showing us what your, what your love truly is, and, and by sending your perfect son to save us. And without your love, God, we have nothing and we gain nothing, so please help us to love others like you do. Purify, purify our hearts and our intentions, and let everything we do in our life Glorify you, bless the reading of your word and Holy Spirit. We ask that you use this message in our hearts in Jesus' name, Amen. So it's been laid on my heart over the past few weeks uh, when Pastor Jeff asked me to preach, um, to talk about how we minister where we are, and is it God's plan? So we're going to turn uh, to the Bible uh, right away um, in First Corinthians. So if you have your Bible, turn to First Corinthians seven. It'll also be on the screen. Uh, 7, and it starts in verse 17, and it says, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncirc- uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's command is what counts. Every person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Verse 21. "When you were a slave, were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's free person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. According to the latest statistics, the average American has 12 jobs in their lifetime. And the average job lasts about four and a half years. If you were to ask my wife or my family uh, how I would compare to those averages, I'm pretty sure she'd say I was probably going to go above it. I I would readily admit that my trajectory in my adult life has been going to go a lot higher. So I decided this week as I was preparing for this to to look back at my jobs since high school. And as I started listing them, um, the part-time jobs, college jobs, self-employed jobs, everything, it turns out that I had exactly... 12 jobs. So it turns out that I'm exactly average. (laughs) Like many of you, I've changed jobs for a variety of reasons. I did so on my own accord. I did so to utilize my degree. I did so to make more money. Um, I did so so that I'd have more family time. And I've also did so because I had the opportunity to take a package. Only about half the workers in the U.S. say they are satisfied in their jobs. And because so many people are dissatisfied in their work, they often move job to job, trying to find that elusive and non-existing perfect job. And even as disciples of Jesus, we're prone to do that. So I'm pretty sure there aren't many of us today that are going, yes, tomorrow is Monday. I get to go to work. Right? We're not, not a whole lot of us doing that. Today we're going to learn that one of the ways we can, we can do that and learn to say thank you, it's Monday, is to bloom where we're planted and find satisfaction in our present work. Now I'm defining work here um, very broadly. So if you're a student, if you're a stay-at-home parent, if you're retired, what we're discussing is relevant to all. And God expects all of us to serve him in all situations. So in 1 Corinthians 7, 17, Paul is addressing the question of how a person's relationship, relationships ought to be impacted when a person commits his or her life to Jesus and becomes his disciple, or how a person's occupation or witness are to be impacted. So let's begin with the overall principle, which is actually pretty easy to determine here, since Paul gives us three commands right away. They'll be on the screen. Number one, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. Number two, each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. And number three, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. So I'm going to summarize these three in just one little phrase. Bloom where you're planted. I have a wonderful mentor who has guided me for Almost my whole life. When I grew up um, as a youngster and a teen, um, he was my pastor. Uh, he is a Baptist Southern Baptist preacher, and uh, if you don't know those, they are just like on fire most of the time, and that's his heart. Um, his uh, His name is a uh, uh, brother Lloyd, brother Lloyd Hart. And if you're if you're not from the Baptist church, whatever, brother. Um, on that term is a term of endearment, also the pastor, the reverend. That's what we would call our pastor, Brother Lloyd. So Brother Lloyd, a very special man, helped me um, become a pastor myself. And actually, it was his wife, Luanne, um, who is an amazing person. Now, I have to say this about wives of pastors. Um, There's a special part of heaven for them. Um, uh, yeah, right? Yeah, You know what I'm talking about. There's a special part of heaven for them. And uh, and Luanne is going to be there, and she kind of coined this phrase, um, having a discussion with my mother, and she said, bloom where you're planted. And she talked about it, you know, just about howing to be satisfied where you are. And it kind of feels like that's what Paul's saying here. So before we develop that idea further, I want to point out what Paul says in verse 17. He says that this is my rule in all churches. He's not just talking about one church. He's not just talking about a couple in a little area. He's talking about all churches. Now remember, Paul, um, from your history and what we've talked about before in the past, Paul was not what we would consider a person that was probably going to be a missionary, or even God's apostle, right? I mean, Paul hated Christians. He came from Rome. You know, his whole life was changed, flipped around on the road to Damascus. And here Paul is telling the churches that this is my rule for all of you. Remember, now Paul wrote, like... uh, well, I, don't, I, I remember someone telling me it was like 40%, 40% of the books of the Bible. I mean, so he didn't write this just in Corinthians. It was in Acts and in Romans and Ephesians and Philippians. Remember, Paul's writing these words, and he's under the direction of the Holy Spirit. So what we're reminded here is that the things we're going to learn today that Paul wrote to the churches, and, and, uh, churches of Corinth were not optional for the disciples of Jesus. Now, unfortunately, in our culture today, We have been led to believe that there is no such thing as absolute truth and that each of us is free to choose whatever whatever options we're comfortable with. But that is just not what the Bible teaches here or anywhere else in the Bible, for that matter. God's word is truth, and we are not free to pick and choose the parts that we're going to obey. If we're going to obey part of it, we're going to obey all of it. Because God's word is truth. So we have to agree that the scriptures, both the Old and the New Testaments, are verbally inspired of God and are the revelation of God to man. The infallible and authoritative rule of faith and conduct. So I have a couple verses that kind of back that up. 2 Timothy. And remember, Timothy was one of Paul's students. 2 Timothy 3.15 says, And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 16, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Interestingly enough, The terms used here by Timothy, servant of God, is the same term that Paul used in the word call in 1 Corinthians 7. We also see here that Timothy utilizes it to be equipped for every good work. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 13, it says, And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is The word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. The words at work in you are the same words as occupation or where you endeavor. So, in order for us to see how this idea of blooming where we're planted relates to us and our occupations, we need to talk about that word that appears eight times in the passage of 1 Corinthians. Now, I have a feeling since Paul used the word eight times, he's trying to let us know something. I mean, if, if, as a parent, um, if you tell your kid something and you tell them again and you're like, okay, this is the last time I'm going to tell you, right? You've heard that before? Okay, if you tell somebody something eight times, I think you're trying to get a message across. The word call or called. We tend to think of this idea of calling in a sense of our vocation. Okay, so like people say, I'm called to be a nurse or a doctor. I'm, t- I'm called to, uh, to be a banker or whatever in our vocation. We see it a lot in the church, right? So I'm called to be a pastor or a missionary. Um, and as we see in a moment, Paul does use it once in that sense. He will use it. But the other seven times he uses that word here, he is referring to what theologians call as God's effectual call. So it's, this is God's effectual call on our lives, and that is the process by which God calls us to himself and leads us to trust in Jesus through faith. So Jesus talked about that in John 6, and those will be on the screen as well. John six forty four says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up the last day. And then a few verses on, he goes on to say, and he went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. This is the effectual call on our lives that God is calling us to Jesus through faith. And we talk about this frequently at church. If I've placed my faith in Jesus, I can't take any credit for that. I'm only able to do that because God has called me so With the one exception that we'll look at about that word call, Paul uses the word call or "called" to refer to those who have become disciples in Jesus, become servants of God. And the question that Paul is addressing here is, at the point that someone becomes a disciple of Jesus, is it necessary to change one position in life? So think about it. You become a Christian, and that next day, you just say, oh, I'm going to be a pastor, Right, well, CVS isn't going to run like that, right? How is the other jobs going to happen? Are they going to happen at all? Not everybody can be a pastor, but what Paul's saying is we all need to be ministers. So the Paul the, the the question Paul's addressing here is at the point that someone becomes a disciple of Jesus, is it necessary to change one's position? Well, Paul answers that in two illustrations in this whole. Um, passage, and they're sandwiched between those three three commandments. The first illustration is about circumcision, and we've run into that one before, especially when we've been following um, Pastor Jeff and Christie's messages on Exodus. Circumcision is considered to be essential by those who are Jewish, even though from God's perspective, it has always been merely an outward symbol that showed someone belonged to him. In a, in a sense, if we look at it kind of in our own context, circumcision is sort of like my wedding ring here. Just because I'm wearing a wedding ring doesn't mean I'm married, right? It's a symbol. So Paul, what Paul is pointing out here is that what really counts is whether or not a person keeps the commandments of God, not some outward action or religious ritual. And the implications of what Paul is writing um, goes far beyond just circumcision. The principle applies to any kind of cultural distinctions, right? And in this time... And age, that's really important. It includes all race, all religion, where we live, social, economic status. Paul makes it clear here that when we become disciples of Jesus, what we need to do is witness where we are to focus on being obedient to Jesus and being the light to those who are still in darkness. Sounds something like what we need right now, amen? Yeah. The second illustration that Paul uses um, in that passage is of slavery. Now, slavery um, in Paul's day and in that culture is much different than the nature of slavery in our country's history. Many prominent people in that time um, were slaves. In that culture, they were slaves, including teachers, writers, politicians, doctors. Uh, So it wasn't uncommon for them to choose to remain slaves because a lot of them were actually better off being under the care of a master in that time. So, therefore, in many ways, the master-slave relationship of that culture was more like our employer-employee relationship now. Now, on a side note, I just want to say this and make it really clear. Paul is not in any way condoning the practice of slavery here. He's merely pointing out that gaining one's freedom was not as important as obeying Christ. Okay? That's what he's saying here. So. And he also says that, uh, points out that everyone is in bondage to someone. Even those who were free should live as they were in bondage to Jesus. Much like in the words of the great Minnesota theologian, Bob Dylan. You got to serve somebody, right? Paul reminded us this in Romans 6, and I won't read that whole chapter to you, but he does say this, 623, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The other word that he uses, the word call, that we haven't talked about, provides us with even more implicit connection to our occupations. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17, that first part again, and it'll be on the screens. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Here, Paul uses the word called in a completely different way than he uses it in the rest of the, passages. rest of the passages. Here, he's using the term in a way that is much closer to how we talk about a vocation. And he, is, he combines that idea with the, with the idea that Jesus has assigned each of us a very certain life here on earth. Now, I have to tell you, I find that extremely comforting to know that my life has been assigned by Jesus. Paul's confirming here that God is sovereign over every area of our life. Not just the area where we come to come to church. Not just the area with our family, but that area where we step out, that other world sometimes so to speak, when we go out into the secular world and we're working. You're not in your current job you are in no matter how you ended up there by accident. Your job is a divine assignment and a calling by God, and we are to lead the life that God has assigned us. Think about this for a second. In the life or work that God has us doing, where did we lose that excitement for the job? And I want to parallel that with, remember when you first became a Christian? And for those of you that this is new territory for you and you're hearing this for the first time, I want you to listen carefully. God comes into your life and your heart just explodes and you're just like, I need to tell people about my Jesus. I need to talk about him. And we see this a lot with our children, right? The kids, they come up and they want to become Christians and they're like, I can't wait to go out to the playground and tell my friends about Jesus. They put us to shame sometimes because they have that excitement. They have that, that overflowing love and acceptance. We, on the other hand, as adults and people that, you know, have jobs and occupations and everything, we put a human filter on it, and it stops us. We start to think these questions. What will people think of us? Will they think I'm a Jesus freak? What if I offend them? And I have to tell you, I struggle with that last one a lot. I mean, I can handle it if people think that I'm a Jesus follower and that I'm very focused on what God wants me to do. And if they want to label me a Jesus freak, I'm fine with that. But it seems to me in this ever-growing world of let's not offend anyone by saying anything that might say something that I grow tired of eggshell walking about my belief in God. I grow tired of it. Why don't I talk about it? Because I'm going to offend somebody? The Bible tells us different. In Matthew 28 16 through 20, it says Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I think as, as I stand before the throne and I'm hearing God review my life, I want to make sure that if I've offended anybody, it might be someone who didn't want to hear the word of God instead of God himself. Amen? God's telling us right here that he'll be with us. He says it right there. I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That means that when we take that chance, when we walk out and we talk to somebody, God's not going to leave us out there by ourselves. He's not going to let us hang there. He's going to give us the word. The Holy Spirit fills us. I love that it says to be witnesses to all nations. That means everyone So when we tell someone about our Lord with our words or by our actions, he's with us. He's right there. So as we're heading into the ending here of this, I want to take a little bit of time just to talk about four practical implications here about my work, about our work. Number one, I am where I am by God's assignment. So regardless of how you got there, you are where you are right now because God assigned you to be there. You're not there by accident or mistake. I have a friend who's helped me with this many times by saying, instead of saying, oh, I have four hours left in my shift, say, I have four hours left in my shift. Just change the way you say it. Think about it. That four hours, who knows what life you may affect. We can agree that God is sovereign, and that means that wherever you are right now, you are there by God's assignment. Pastor Jeff's sermon last week, when he talked about um, the spirit of God and the holy places, he talked about the tabernacle, how the holy place was there and only certain people could go, in, go to it and he couldn't go inside. And that the Holy Spirit was leading them by the pillar of fire and the pillar, um, the, cloud of, um, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. And then how the Holy Spirit, and we come into the New Testament, becomes inside of us because we are the tabernacle. And how the spirit inside of us is how we show people our relationship with God, that spirit inside of us. Because whether you like your job or not, you're there because that's where God has placed you at this time, at least for now. And because God gave us our assignment, we can also be assured that, number two, my job's a ministry. So we've talked about this idea that every disciple of Jesus is a minister, right? So whether you're working in a vocational um, church job or a secular world, your your work is ministry. And since most of us spend much of our time in our lives, in our jobs, it's probably this most important ministry next to the ministry of our families. As a pastor, there's a different role that a pastor has um, in the body of Christ, but you and everyone are every bit as much of a minister as a pastor. And to take it even one step further, I've been just as much a minister in every so-called secular job I've ever held as I am as a pastor now. So even when I was cleaning or I'm greeting people or CVS or I'm trying to make a customer service better for somebody at Best Buy, I was a minister. And I've learned this principle and I've watched this principle because guess what? Most people don't hear about the Word of God at church. It's one, week a day, one day a week that people come to church. They go to work at least five, right? Now, nowadays, it's a little different with, you know, Zoom and, and working at home and things like that. But still, your interactions with people are going to be a lot more. In fact, sometimes I see people at work more than I see peop- my family, right? We have a very outreaching church here at Homestead. That's one of the things that makes this church really great is that it does reach out to people in the community. But number three, God is more concerned about how I work than where I work. So as we've seen this morning, God is a lot more concerned about whether I'm keeping his commandments than he is about where I work. He's a lot more concerned about whether I am leading the life he's assigned me than where I do that. And the Bible consistently teaches that God entrusts more to us as we are faithful with what he's already entrusted us. And that's in Luke 16.10 if you want to look that up. And I believe the same principle applies to our work. So if you think that you want or need a better job or you deserve a new job, the most important thing you can do right now is be a better worker where you are right now. For you young people who are beginning to think about God's will, When it comes to your future job, or maybe even for those who are considering a change in vocation, God's will is for you to remain close to Jesus and to obey his commandments. And if you do that with all your heart, then I believe that God can use you anywhere if you have the kind of heart towards God. And what employer doesn't want to have an employee who wants to do his best? Number four, when God is ready to give me a new assignment, he'll let me know. Now, Paul is not saying here that we can never change jobs. In fact, he told those who were slaves that it was perfectly acceptable to take advantage of the opportunity to gain their freedom if that came along. But what they were not to do was to spend all their time wishing that they were free or trying to find ways to obtain their freedom. Instead, they were to wait until God made an opportunity available to them. And while they waited, they were to minister where they were. Now, when I was at Best Buy, I was at Best Buy for about 18 years, and I had the opportunity to lead a group called the Christian Connection. And when I um, was asked to do it, I was going back to, to school to become a pastor. Um, I was uh, in, in the seminary, and um, someone came to me and said, hey, I don't know if it, just because I was learning to be a pastor that it seemed, you know, you should run this program or be part of it. And, uh, and so I thought, okay, God, you're, you're giving me this opportunity. I, I'll, I'll look at it and, and look at it as a ministry. There was 12 people at the time. Now, <clears throat> consider this. Best Buy, the headquarters, that's on 494 and 35W there, has two caribou coffees. It has a store, a health club, a dry cleaners, a grocery store, two banks, a post office, and a, a group that comes in to change oil when your car is in the parking lot, right? So an automotive store service. <laughs> so I thought, why not a church? I mean, why not? If everything else is here. So we had an ice cream social. We had about 15 people to- total show up. We had brochures out. We put things out. Um, we got it all approved through HR. A lot of you know, people are thinking, oh, how, did they have to, how did they get that through HR? We went to them and explained it. We became an official group. Um, a lot of companies will let you become an official group. At that time, you can put things up. So we became an um, official group. We were part of the Leadership Foundation, and we partnered with a lot of other groups. Well, over two years, we grew to having over 500 people show up at Christmas and Easter services multiple Bible studies for men and women during lunchtimes, and we were even asked to pray over the company during times of turmoil, especially during 9-11. I started an an email that was called Thursday Thoughts, and I got to send this out to hundreds of people. And I thought, God, this is ministry. I'm doing this every day. I'm getting to do this, having to do my other job, but I'm getting to do this, right? Yes. That was the time my job was terminated. Right then. But I'll tell you this, God's faithful, isn't he? Because the next week, I was a full-time pastor at a church. God's timing and God's assignment. That is to say, even when you feel like you're doing ministry, God may have something completely different for you, ready to go to further his kingdom, and he will make it happen. So Paul is not saying here that there's never a time when we shouldn't seek a job seek a new job. But I'm convinced that if we're applying the other principles that we've talked about this morning, and I'm doing my best to bloom where I planted, and if God is ready to give me a new assignment, He'll make it very, very clear. So this morning's idea is not simple. It's it actually is simple, but it's not easy. Bloom where you're planted. I've actually read it expressed this way, and this actually is a real theologian. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, nothing proves the reality of our conversion more than showing the change in our lives by the way we live our lives. Live for Christ. Yes. So before we pray this morning, and before we close, I want to read um, an excerpt from a book um, from someone I've been studying quite a bit of. His, his name is Pastor Scott Saul's. And he um, wrote a book called Irresistible Faith. And I want you just to picture this um, as Christians um, and what it would be like if we would apply this in our workplace. As one who longs to see Christianity Christianity return to a place of life-giving, contagious presence in the world, I am both haunted and motivated by the characterization in Acts and of the early church. That description compels me to ask... What would it look like for Christians to be reignited in this kind of faith for our time? What would it look like for us to become those who live most beautifully, love most deeply, and serve most faithfully in the places where we live, work, and play? What would it look like for us to live so compellingly and lovingly in our neighborhoods, cities, and nations, that if we were suddenly removed from the world, our non-believing neighbors would miss us terribly. What would it look like for Christians to become the first place people would go for comfort when a life-altering diagnosis comes, when anxiety and depression hit, when a child goes astray, when a spouse files for divorce, or when a breadwinner loses a job? What would it look like for Christians to become not only the best kind of friends, but the best kind of enemies? returning insults with kindness and persecution with prayers? What would it look like for Christians in mass to start loving and following the whole Jesus, the whole scripture, the whole time, into the whole world? I don't want to close this message without giving those of you, we mentioned, I mentioned it earlier, those of you who don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, an opportunity to come to know him. If the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart right now, if you're feeling something that says, I want to know this, Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit. It's not something you ate last night. It's the Holy Spirit, and he's saying to you, come to me, get to know me. All you have to do is ask. I'm right at the door, I'm knocking, I want to come in. So all you have to do is ask. If that's, if that's you today, we're going to have people up here after service that will pray with you. I'll be up here after service. But what we would love for you to come and receive his mercy and his grace. If that's something that you want to do, please come up. Now the rest of us, I think, I just want to I just want to remind us that we are to live our lives for God as disciples of Jesus, wherever we are. But especially when we're out there, where people are seeing us all the time. That's where that and I, I love that I love that phrase by Diedrich Bonhoeffer when he says, that we are to live our lives that way. Will you please join me for prayer? Father, thank you for your divine assignment that has placed me where I am right now and where we all are right now. Help us to understand that our work, whatever that it might look like, is a ministry. Help us to bloom where we're planted by focusing on you and following your commandments at work and at being the very best worker that we can be. I ask you, God, to help us draw close to Jesus and obey him. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come into our lives and help us to show that we are disciples of God. Thank you, Father, for your love. In your name we pray, amen.